Well, this morning we're gathering um, for a pretty exciting day in the life of our church. Uh, this has been a day that your staff has been really looking forward to. And I guarantee you I'm not speaking in tongues. But um, anyway, I'm glad that went off. But that would be interesting, wouldn't it? But anyway, this is an exciting day, and we've been looking forward to this, your staff and myself, for, um, for many months now, for many weeks now. It's a series that we're going to preach in tandem. tandem. Next week, uh, Pastor Robert's going to speak, and then I think I'm next up. Um, and then Trey's going to finish out this series. It's just a, it's just a unique series, the sermon series that we're starting today. And, and really what we're doing today is, is an emphasis that we're calling uh, growth track. In fact, if you were to walk out into the foyer, into our lobby, and take a right and just walk down that hallway, you'll always be reminded that these are, are four Gs, if you will. These are, this is who we are as a church. In fact, I would even say if you were to walk into the lobby and you take a left, and I know it's different for you, but if you were to go, go left, you'll see a missional wall. And, and Trey will talk about that a little bit later on when he has his sermon. But basically, when you think of our church from a missional standpoint, we're going to do, we want really strive to do local missions. We always have. We always will. But then God's opened up partnerships for us to be a part of with Joe up in Boston and then with Pastor Jorge in Puerto Rico. And, and that's going to be our missional focus. That's our missional wall. But we're calling this uh, growth track. And, and the whole mindset around this new emphasis, and you know, it's really nothing new. Uh, Solomon said there's really nothing new under the sun, right? So what we're sharing with you today over the next couple of weeks is really nothing out of the ordinary or really new or like, aha, but it's an opportunity for us to re-emphasize what every church, every church, every New Testament church, every church that loves the Lord Jesus Christ should be about, and that is simply to make disciples. Years ago, um, I was guilty um, of, I was guilty of gauging my church and the church that I led. And I've, I've been a part of a couple of churches now. But I was guilty of saying, of looking at, at numbers. And, and based on the numbers, that let me know, well, all right, um, God is blessing, God is good. And, and we're growing. And, and numbers are important. Don't get me wrong. Numbers really are important. I was one of the guys that I looked at the weekly attendance and I would track that. I always wanted to see the growth going upward, right? I will look at baptisms, of course, and man, I tell you what, I might bomb at this sermon in the next couple of minutes. My prayer is that I will slow down because I'm excited. I've had coffee since 5.30 this morning. I'm wired. I'm ready to go. You know, we've had men, we had about 15 guys meeting this morning, talking about numbers, 15 guys meeting this morning for 33. We had breakfast, we had coffee, and we studied in God's word about what it's like to have to be an authentic man, authentic manhood. It was really cool. In fact, I would encourage you men every third Sunday, we're meeting in this room, the multi-purpose room at 7.30 just for Bible study and fellowship and accountability. But, but I looked at numbers. Um, gosh, I looked at numbers. I looked at baptisms, and as I was saying, I'm on the sidetrack, I could bomb this sermon today, but I had a kid named Crawford come up to me a few minutes ago and says, Preacher, I want to get baptized. <laughs> I hit a home run today, whether you believe it or not. That's just awesome. I said, man, you made my day. Um, and I looked at baptism numbers. That's what I was getting at. I looked at all sorts of numbers. Baptisms, you know, how many baptisms do we have this year? I always have a goal as to how many baptisms I would love for God to allow us to, to have every year. I looked at um, MB. I looked at our budget. Every week I looked at the budget and making sure, hey, are we, are we, are we bringing in the tithes? Are we bringing in the offerings you know, that we need to make sure we're a, a healthy functioning church so that we could do ministry and so we can do mission. So, so I did all that and, and just know that, that numbers are important. 
And I still look at all that stuff, as you can tell, right? But sometimes we do it, us preachers, and we do it to a detriment of the things that really, really matter. So I was convicted um, several years ago. And, and, the, and, and I can boil it down into one statement. I never heard God, gosh, I wish he would have on several different occasions, to audibly speak to me. But I felt it in my spirit. I felt it in my heart. God just sharing and laying out a particular statement, a phrase, if you will. And, um, and I thought, wow. Because that little phrase that I was convicted about, God had put people in my life. I was hanging out with a guy that, that left the ministry, but yet he... He, he was the best disciple maker. He didn't like being told he was a disciple maker, but that's what he was. He managed an inn, a bed and breakfast. He discipled more people as a manager of a bed and breakfast than he did in the ministry when he was in the ministry. And I thought, man, that's pretty cool. God had put people like that in my life. Every book I seemed to be reading seemed to be pounding and pounding this into my heart, into my mind. So what was the phrase you're probably asking? You know, what was that one little conviction, if you will, that God put up on my heart? Well, here it is. It's the church that I lead. It's the church that I shepherd. Really making disciples. Or are we just going through the motions of being church? Wow. I don't know what that says to you, but that got all over me. It's the church that I lead, the church that I shepherd, the church that God allows me to shepherd. Are we making disciples or are we just going through the motions? So, I prayed a prayer that kind of went like this. I said, Lord, I truly want to make a difference. Does that shock y'all? If you've been here the past couple of weeks, I've told y'all, I really, when everything is said and done, when the roll is called up yonder and I'm there, I would love for God to say, hey, you made a difference, right? And I have told y'all that the past couple of weeks, you know. I've let the cat out of the bag more than, more than once. But I prayed a prayer that went like that. Lord, I truly want to make a difference for you, and I want the church that I shepherd to make an eternal difference for you. I don't want Heavenly Father to always be focused on numbers like I always have been. <laughs> I don't want to be part of a church that always focuses and gauges their health on numbers. I don't want to be part of a church. <laughs> Y'all notice I'm smiling? All right. I don't want to be a part of a church where I'm always got to make this person happy and that person happy. I want to make him happy. But if you're a people person like I am, you really want to make people happy, but I really want to make him happy other than you guys. But anyway, I'll pray in a prayer like that. And I said, um, Lord, should you lead and should it be your will, I want to pastor a disciple-making church, even if that means it's a small church. Now, I prayed that prayer, and then I, then I thought of this, what in the world have you just prayed? I mean, honestly, I'm like, good gosh, good golly, Miss Molly, what have you done, Rod? Because what does it look like to pastor a disciple-making church? I don't know. I don't know if you've ever been a part of one. Now, we did a lot of great things. The churches I was a part of, I never thought we were a country club mentality, because if we were... I never would have been invited in. Um, we were missional. I mean, we did missions. The very first church I served out of seminary, you know, God bless their heart. They took a guy that didn't know squat. I thought I did, but I was really green. And God put me there for three years, and I was allowed to love those people. And, um, and they loved me back in return. They let me make my fair share of mistakes. Uh, God bless them. We went on our first international mission trip. They did. Never been on one before, and we went. It was pretty cool. So I just share that to say this, not being braggadocious, but we just really were a missional church. Every church I've been a part of, you know, we, we focused on missions. We really want to be, as we do now, an Acts 1-8 church. But, um, but I didn't want to be a church that just focused on, on numbers and stuff like that. I really wanted to make, make an impact for the kingdom and make disciples. So long story short, God brought me here. Ooh, tough crowd, Trey. 
Yeah, I'm joking. God brought me here. And, um, and he brought together a staff that wants to be here. Uh, and our heartbeat, I think, is as one. Now, do we irritate each other? Yeah, because we're, we're different, just like y'all are different. Um, but we love each other. And we, we have the same heartbeat. And our heartbeat, get this now, I love y'all. Our heartbeat is not to maintain the buildings. But the buildings God blesses us with, we ought to maintain to the best of our ability for his glory. Did y'all hear me say that? Amen. All right, okay. Um, and then secondly, we have, the, we have the heartbeat not to maintain the status quo. I don't want to always do the same thing that we've always done because you'll always get the same results. Um, what else can I say about that? We, well, I don't want to be the biggest... I don't want to be the biggest show in town or the biggest church in town just for the fact that we can say, hey, look at us, we're the biggest church in town or the biggest church in the, in the area, if you will. Although I think if we are honoring God, there's no telling what God might do. And then I want us to be a church, and I think we are as a staff, we have the heartbeat <laughs> that we don't want to do every single ministry that man has created. If we're always doing everything that mankind has created, and there's a lot of things that mankind, have you been to Lifeway lately? Well, actually, you haven't because there's no more brick-and-mortar stores. But if you go online, there's everything under the sun, all sorts of ministries. If you're trying to do all that stuff, Mitch, you're not going to be good at one thing. So I really want to kind of be good at, at one thing, maybe a few things we can really be good at. And then if God opens the doors, he'll raise up people to help us to do this, that, and the other. Y'all with me? So we all want to have, as a staff, the same heartbeat, and that is to make disciples. The idea behind all of this is just to be the church that God wants us to be. That's what I want to be, Right? I want you to have that same, like, desire. We want to be the church that God wants us to be. And that's not rocket science, is it? From the littlest ones to the oldest ones, we want to be the church. And I think everybody can understand that. We want to be the church that God wants us to be. So part of being the church that God wants us to be is for us all to be on the same page. It does us no good if I'm on a page and the staff's on a page and you're right here saying, what in the world's going on at church? I don't have no idea what they're doing anymore. We want to all be together on the same page. It doesn't mean we're always going to agree, but we're always going to be on the same page in terms of making and having a heart to make disciples. So we did some things, um, and it's just kind of neat when you step back and you see how God just kind of orchestrates stuff. Because I'm, I'm not smart to figure out all this stuff, but, but God did. I had a desire to, of wanting to have a new, um, a new logo. And I can hear some of you say, I like the old one. I know, I know, but, you know, have, have mercy. <laughs> and when I see that, uh, you may not like it. I like it. Uh, a lot of people like it. Some people may not. But, hey, we all love each other, right? When I look at that logo, we introduced it to a little fanfare. You know, we didn't say, hey, look at this. But when I look at that logo, I see the letter C. Some of you may be thinking, what, where? But, you know, have somebody point it out to you. I see the letter C, I see the letter F. That tells me that we are Sheraf first. We are the family of God called Sheraf first. But then you can't miss the cross. And everything about us as Sheraf first, as the family of faith called Sheraf first, is the cross. It's the center of all we do. It's why we gather this morning as a church. So it reminds us that, that, that we're going to be about the cross. We're going to be about loving God, right? That will never, ever change. We want to be loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, you know, loving God first. Y'all with me? And then we want to love others as best we can. And in our opinion, as a church staff, we best do that when we know or when we gather, grow, give, and go. And we do all that uh, together. Uh, let me just say this before we keep on trucking, if you will. For those of you that may be visiting with us today, and maybe you've been here, um, maybe this is your first time, or maybe you're not really 
you haven't been here in a while, maybe you're watching with us online for the first time and you're thinking, this is a different sermon. You better believe this is a different sermon. Um, it's not really what I'm comfortable doing, but, but I really believe this is what we need to be talking about today. So just, just keep that in mind as we go through the rest of the sermon. And if you're looking at your clock, if you like me, I sat in front of the TV for several hours last night watching my Gamecocks lose, all right? What y'all laughing about? <laughs> so, I, you know, I sat in front of the TV watching that ordeal. So, um, so just be gracious, if you will. We need to do some housekeeping, if you will, today. Th- these, are, these sermons, and today's just the first one we're talking about, are, are really helping us with the foundation. We're going back to the foundation, if you will. And this is part of our discipleship journey as we're laying down a, a discipleship model that we'll continue to evaluate as God continues to bless our church. I would say these, these sermons are just the foundation. And we're going to build as best we can on top of those foundations. But in these sermons are foundational steps that we believe that every Christ follower should embrace in order to live the life that God wants you to live. So there again, for some of you this morning, this is going to be very basic. Perhaps. I can hear you now. This is, this is just a very basic sermon, preacher. I, I get it. But, you know, every now and then we need to go back to the basics. And every now and then we need to go back and we look at the fundamentals. Um, Vince Lombardi, legendary coach of the Green Bay Packers. I like the Packers and the Steelers. Always have been. The Packers got killed last week. Uh, they played Monday night. They probably will win Monday night because I think I know who they're playing. But Vince Lombardi, in that immortal words that only Lombardi could say, was he picked out a football one day and he's like, gentlemen, this is a what? Football. This is a flat football. <laughs> But, um, but I have it flat because I want it to sit on my, my bookcase in a particular way. But, yeah, this is a football. And every now and then, John, can you grab this? Thank you. Every now and then, if I put it back in the pulpit, it might fall. So, anyway, forgive me if I offended you. But every now and then, we need to get back to the basics. It's just like a football team. A football team can say, well, you know what? All those teams that lost yesterday, I can hear coaches in my mind saying, well, they're lamenting. We just got to get back to the basics. We got to get back to tackling right and fundamentals and alignment. And in terms of my beloved Gamecocks, four and five-star recruits will really, really help. Bring them in, Lord Jesus, if you will. But it's important for us to get to the, to the basics. And, and not only that, but the church. And not just our church. But the church needs to get back to the basics. And here's why, and I'm going to put it on the screen. Here's why the church needs to get back to the basics. Say this with me. A healthy church makes disciples. A healthy church makes what church? Disciples. Disciples. Yeah. So a healthy church makes disciples. So that begs the question, what in the world is a healthy church? I'm glad you asked. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Gosh, there were so many scriptures I wanted us to go to, but but Ephesians 4, I almost sent you to Acts because I love Acts. I almost sent you to Psalms. It's a great chapter in Psalms that deal with with the church. But I want us to go to Ephesians chapter 4 for just a few minutes. And and there again, let me just say a word to those of you that are here maybe for the first time, or you've been here and you haven't been in a couple of months and you're here. This is not normally how I preach. Normally what we do is we take a passage of Scripture and we we hone in on that passage all morning long and we'll exegete it. It's called expository preaching. And some Sundays they're deep, some Sundays it's not deep. Can I tell you what I think a good sermon is? I think a good sermon is not when I let you out on time. A good sermon, what is, that, that's, the, that's a preference for everybody. A good sermon is when, if I have a young person that can understand it as well as an adult understand it. That's just really sweet. 
I think. It just spans the generations, if you will. And oftentimes you use stories to do that. Jesus is our great example of that. So Ephesians chapter 4, uh, just some housekeeping we're going to be in today. And the reason I want us to look at Ephesians 4 is because Paul wrote the letter to the church in Ephesus. Believers just like me and you living in the city, in the town of Ephesus, beautiful, beautiful city. If I was like Andy, I would have taken you there using Google Earth technology, but I didn't do that today. And you're saying, Andy who? Go back on our Facebook page and just watch some of the videos from last, last week as we had Andy Cook in here doing Experience Israel now. Hey, by the way, he sent me a text this morning saying, hey, I'm praying for you. Pretty cool, pretty cool. So he's already got a relationship built up with us. But in Ephesians 4, what's interesting about that is when Paul wrote the letter to the believers in Ephesus, he, he's, he's letting them know all throughout the book, but especially here in Ephesians 4, hey, this is how the church is to do the church. This is how we as a church are to be the church. So Ephesians chapter 4 uh, is all about the life of Christ. And notice what Paul writes here in verse 1. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience. Do you all struggle with patience? Boy, I do every now and then. <laughs> with patience, bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of God's gift. And then if, if you notice down there through um, verse 11, if you will, Paul talks about how he equips, how Jesus equips the church. And he talks about apostles and he talks about prophets. Can I give you a very simplistic definition of that? And the emphasis on, is on simplistic. David, a great simplistic definition of apostles and prophets is that God raised up prophets, people that wrote the Old Testament, and apostles, that people that wrote the New Testament. The emphasis on, is on a simplistic definition of the two. But that's basically what the apostles and what prophets were. God raised them up under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they wrote what you have in your hand, the Holy Word of God. And then as you keep on reading, when, when they died, basically, God then gave the church evangelists and shepherds and teachers. Why did God give the church shepherds and evangelists and teachers? Well, he did so, so that they might equip the saints. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, I asked you the question, who's the saint? And I, I remember sharing with you that a pastor friend of mine was on vacation. A, a visiting pastor asked the question, who's the saint? And nobody raised their hand. So I'm not going to ask you to do that because I might be embarrassed. But you're a saint if you've been born again. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you have a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you have been born again. You are a saint. There's two types of people in the world. You're either a saint or you... Ain't terrible English, I know, but you'll never forget it. So, so if you're if you're saved, you're you're a, you're a saint here. So God raised up evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints. Why for the work of ministry? Why for the building up of the body of Christ? The church is the body of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. I prefer I preferably be called the body of Christ instead of the bride of Christ. But I am a body of Christ, and I'm part of the bride of Christ. Then if Continue reading, if, if you will, at verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children. That's the beauty of discipleship. He doesn't want to leave you just there as a child. He wants you to mature, you know. 
Children are tossed, the Bible says in verse 14, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love. Oh, what a beautiful church that is. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in, what's your Bible say, church? Love. Yeah, my Bible says love as well. Did y'all see what, nowhere in that passage, nowhere in that passage do we see, what are you running on Sunday? Nowhere in that passage does it ask us how many baptisms have you had. Nowhere in that passage does it say, you know, are you meeting budget? Or what is your budget? How many weekly ties do you need to be able to meet and budget? Nowhere does it talk about numbers here. And there again, numbers are important. Don't hear me say otherwise. Numbers are important. But the words that Paul uses here to describe a healthy church are words that I like. And I hope you like them too. You know, oftentimes in our world, God. Oftentimes in our world, don't we use, I hope y'all don't, y'all don't, but oftentimes in the world, doesn't the world and our culture we live in use words to tear us up? It shouldn't be that way in church. If anything, the words we use in church ought to build one another up. So Paul uses words like maturity, and, and we're living in a world that's very, very immature, right? Paul uses words like truth, and there again, we live in a world that believes everything. There's a lot of confusion, a lot of weird stuff out there, a lot of odd doctrines out there that's being taught. Well, the Bible speaks, and Paul reminds us of truth. Paul uses words like love, and we live in a world that is so different from that. There's so much heartache and anger and pain and resentment. Paul, Paul speaks of, of love, and he describes the church of Jesus Christ as, as she should be an, an instrument of love. And then he talks about the word growth, and we live in a world where churches are shrinking. So many churches that I know of, so many churches in, um, in our association, in our town, in our state, so many churches in our nation are either plateaued or declined. And can I just say something? I believe with all my heart, God did not create his church to die. He did not create his church to be anemic or lifeless or boring. God created his church to be lively, <laughs> alive, living things grow, healthy organisms grow, healthy organizations grow. And if they don't, what do you think the healthy organization's doing? Or they're looking to say, well, what do we need to change? So in some respects, change can be good. So I want to be a part of a church that's growing because we're seeking to make disciples who make disciples. That's the real key if you'd really know that you're a disciple. You're making disciples who in turn make disciples who in turn makes disciples. All right? It's the, it's the ministry of replication, if you will. So, so why is it important for us here at Sheraw First to go back to the basics and to reemphasize making disciples? Here's why. Churches, just like our life, go through different seasons. All right? Don't you ever wish you were in a younger season of your life? I do. You probably do as well. So churches, just like, just like our lives, have different life cycles. You know, I might live to be 90. I might live to be 100. I doubt it. I doubt I'll hit either one. If I do, so be it. But, but you know what? As, just to be perfectly frank, as I was thinking about this sermon today, I thought, gosh, I don't know if I want to live to be that old. If there's, there's things I can't do, I may not want to live that old. You know, if there's some things I used to enjoy that I can't do, I, Lord, I really want to be 100 and I can't do some of those things. And then if I look like death... I might as well be dead. 
You know, I would hate to be walking somebody and some kids say, gosh, that person looks like death. If I look like death, I want to be in heaven, all right? Now, I'm just joking with you. Y'all love me? I hope. I'm just being honest. This is, I think so many different things as I write these sermons. But, um, but, but here, hey, here's, get this. Compared to eternity, my life is a grain of sand on the seashore of, the, of eternity. This is just a breath, if you will. I'm living forever in a place that God has prepared for me, and it's a place called heaven. And you know what? It's a whole lot nicer than anything we've got here on earth. Studies show that just like we have life cycles, the church has life cycles as well. So here's the life cycles of the churches on the screen. Many church plants, you see there in their infancy, many church plants don't grow past their fifth year. Now, y'all don't be looking at the last point, okay? I'm getting there. All right, some of y'all are looking at that last point. Don't look at that last point. I'm getting there. But many church plants don't go past their, their fifth year, and, and they don't do that because of, of people and money. They don't have the resources. They don't have the, the money that they need. They don't have the people that they need. So praise God, people like Pastor Jorge and Pastor Joe in Puerto Rico and Boston not only get money from the cooperative program. What's that? Well, we're a part of the Southern Baptist, we're, we are a Southern Baptist church. We affiliate with the Southern Baptist Convention. In my opinion, the best mission-sending organization is the IMB and the NAMB, the North American Mission Board, Inter International Mission Board. It supports missionaries like Joe that go out that wherever God's called them to go. But then you got churches like us that not only give to the cooperative program and support missions like Joe and Jorge, but we also fund them out of our budget. That's that's pretty cool. That ought to make you excited. If you hear, I hope you hear that today as you leave here. That's something I'm excited about. But many churches don't make it past their fifth birthday. But if they do, then they're, then they're kind of like in their childhood. They're in their teen years. And whoo, teen years can be something else. Teen years can make you lose your hair, right? Or at least get thin in hair, if you will. And, and churches that are in their teen years, man, they're doing great. They may not have money, but they've got some more people coming in, and, and, and they're so excited. Their, their mission, their MO is still, we want to make disciples. We want to impact the world for Jesus. And, and, and I love churches that are in their teen years because they think we, we can attack hell and, and tear it all up with a squirt gun. More power to you. I'm glad you're excited about that. But that's their teen years. And then studies have shown that in their years 11 through 25, man, that's just when things are going sweet. That's your sweet spot. And things are just going great. Can't ask for anything better. You know, life is good. God is good. Everything is just going great. But then here's what studies have shown. If churches are 50 years old and older, many of them lose their focus. And instead of being outward, they turn inward, and it's all about survival and preferences being... Um, being stroked, stroked, if you will. A church like that that's in their 50 years and older just lately like, just like to fuss about anything because they're no longer focused on the mission. They're no longer making disciples, and they will fuss about everything. I've heard churches fuss about what color of carpet we're going to put in the sanctuary. I could give a rip what color of carpet you put in the sanctuary. That's Hebrew, by the way. All right, I don't know what. I don't really care as long as it's not orange. All right, just whatever color of carpet, just not orange. All right? I don't even want burnt orange either, all right? But, um, but, but people, churches in their in 50 years and above, they lose their focus, they turn inward, and it's all about maintaining the business. And they fuss and they fight, 
and oftentimes it's about the color of carpet. I've even heard one church talk about and fuss in a deacon's meeting mind. You know, I thought, this is not what deacon ministry is about. Deacons are about servanthood. We serve the church. They're not a board, and our deacons aren't. Maybe they used to be their body. But I've heard, I've heard a church and in deacons meetings talk about, well, we bought the freezer from Home Depot. How come it hasn't been delivered yet? And I'm thinking, oh, you're a deacon. Who cares? Anyway, I feel good for having said that. But churches that are past 50, they begin to focus on management. They turn inward, and they're dying because of that. So, so hear me say this. The, the older the church, the easier it is to lose your focus. And the focus of every New Testament church is to make disciples. That's not my words. That's Jesus' words. So when it comes to the life cycle of the church, guess what? We're an older church. You got a young pastor, but <laughs> just lightening the mood. But yeah, we Sheraw's an old town. And our church was planted years ago. You know, we're, we're a little bit older than 50, right? So let's be honest, in terms of church years, we're we're pretty old. And if we're like most First Baptist churches, we should be dying. Should be. But I don't want to be a part of a dying church. And I don't want us to die. I'm not being arrogant. You ought to know me by now. I'm not arrogant. At least, gosh, if I ever feel like I'm arrogant, please tell me. But do it gently. Do it in love. But I really don't think I'm arrogant. If you think I am, you haven't hung out with me enough. But... I really don't want to be a part of a, of a dying church. I'm with your staff, we're going to do all we can. Your deacon leadership, who I go to for spiritual advice and advice in general. We don't want to die. We want to be a church that's thriving and that's growing. Here's the secret sauce. Don't y'all like the secret sauce? The secret sauce for a church that might be older than 50 years old, the secret sauce is to constantly evaluate the process of making disciples. And that's what we want to be about. So I'm glad you asked. How do you make disciples, all right? Well, we believe that for us, and what I want to talk about for the next few minutes, is that we want to make disciples by gathering with the body of Christ. And it begins with every disciple. It begins with every saint. It begins with every follower of Christ saying, you know what, I want to take serious my, seriously my walk as a, as a disciple. Uh, this is not in your notes, but I love this definition of a disciple. It's very simple. Shock, shock. But what I love about this definition of a disciple is this. It's someone who has been changed by Jesus, who walks with Jesus, and is sent with Jesus. A disciple is someone who's been changed by Jesus, walks with Jesus, and is sent by Jesus. And one of the things a disciple like that does is they gather with the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, weekly for worship. For 2,000 years, the, the defining characteristic of the church of Jesus Christ is that the church disciples gathered for worship. And we did it consistently, and we did it on, on the Lord's Day. And they've done it in, um, in grand cathedrals. It breaks my heart to see some of these grand old structures that are dead as a doornail, literally. But they, the church of Jesus Christ for 2,000 years has gathered in grand cathedrals. They've gathered in, in, um, in thatched huts in places like Africa with dirt floors. I've been in some of those. Uh, I've been in churches, a house church, that had dirt on the floor and tin roof. Tin roofs. I mean, it was just very, very humbling. And then you got churches like ours that meet in a place like this. And I love worshiping here with you guys. I love how we do church. I love worshiping with you. But the fact of the matter is the church of Jesus Christ 
gathers. Can I meddle for a minute? I'm going to, all right? Now, we haven't opened your booklets yet, but, but I, and there again, keep in mind, if you can sit through a ball game for two to four hours, you can sit through this just maybe a little bit longer today. So, so give me some grace. Thank you. So let me just meddle for a minute. And often you'd realize, when, y'all know when I meddle, I often say I love you. I love you. But let me meddle. All right? I'm going to meddle. Because the job of a pastor is to afflict the comforted and to comfort the afflicted. So that's what we got to do today. So, so let me just say this, and, and I may refer to my notes because I really want to say what was on my heart. I'm thankful that during the pandemic, God allowed our church, like he did many churches, to invest in technology. It's unfortunate we had to wait for a pandemic to invest in technology. But now we can really offer things when the technology works. We can really offer some really good quality, you know, viewing for those that can't come to worship regularly with us. And I'm really thankful that because of the technology and all the people that Robert and Trey has up in the booth, like Sandy and, and everybody else up there, I'm really glad that they're up there and different people are up there every Sunday. If you're, like, if you're thinking, well, why is the music louder today? Well, it could be because somebody up there is different. And they are, because every time we've got, we got a team of people. It's not the same people every Sunday up there. So it's really cool. But just know this, that I'm thankful that when it comes to our technology, people who are sick and genuinely can't come to church, maybe they had COVID. I'm thankful that if they're home taking care of maybe of a sick relative or, or an elderly person that cannot, can't get out of the house anymore or some, somebody that might be traveling and they're traveling on the road to provide intimate for their family, I'm thankful they can use our technology and they can worship with us either when we're live streaming it or even after the fact like my blessed mama does every Sunday. All right, I'm thankful we've got the technology where you can watch our church services and you can participate in our church that way. I'm really, it's just really cool, too, to think that we've got people not only in Sherall that watch our services and participate and worship with us. Um, the analytics say we've got people that are in, like, Missouri, and we all know who some of those people are in Missouri, you know, Kermit and them. Uh, Georgia, uh, North Carolina, I know that's not far away. Uh, Texas, Louisiana, we've got people all throughout the South. Hey, a church of life's worth the drive, right? Yeah, that's a joke. And a pastor joke, just felt led to share that with you. But, but I'm just really glad that the technology opens up all of those doors. But there has to be a day. Here's where I'm meddling. There has to be a day that when those of you that choose to worship online come back to church and you worship with us here physically. And I know what you're thinking. Well, we've had COVID. We've had the pandemic. There's a Delta variant now. Well, guess what? Next week, next month, next year, it's going to be some other variant probably. It's just the lot in life I think we're living. It's where we're living at now as a world, as a body of people. So there will always be something on the horizon we got to fight. I hope not, but I just think there will be. Understand I'm not making light of the pandemic, so please don't hear otherwise, but worshiping online should be the exception, not the rule. I love you. But worshiping online should be the exception, not the rule. Your physical presence matters to God here in this place. Your physical presence matters to a fellow believers, sisters and brothers in Christ. It matters for them to be able to say, hey, you know, I saw Kent today. Man, he looked good. Right? It's, it's important for us to rub shoulders and to fellowship together. When the Bible says, do not forsake your meeting together, it undeniably means, according to Donald Whitney, who wrote the classic book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, it undeniably means the physical presence, you're coming together physically with other believers in Jesus Christ. So the convenience of your couch... I love those of you worshiping online. 
The convenience of your couch does not trump the fact that God's people should gather with the body of Christ consistently in worship. Boy, I can meddle some more, but let's move on. Let's move on. So, so open your textbook. Your textbook. Open. I feel like I really am teaching now. Open your workbook, if you will. Bring it back next Sunday. You got some fill in the blanks. This is something we want. It's there again. We're laying the foundation. We are grandfathering you in as we go through this particular series. And I'm speaking today on gathering as the body of Christ. And we'll go through this just as fast as we can, all right? But we want to talk about gathering as the body of Christ. And the very first thing we want to make sure you understand as you gather with the body of Christ that you're all first is we want to be able to answer this question, who's God? Now, there again, I would imagine you know who God is because you're here this morning, but there could be some people here that you have no idea. Your version of God and my version of God and my version of God of Scripture may not be the same. You might be off your rocker there. So I'm glad God brought you here because we want to look at the truth of God's Word. So we want to answer the question, first of all, who is God? And one of the things the Bible teaches us about God is the Bible teaches, well, the Bible teaches us about God. Yeah, the Bible teaches, yeah, that's right, sorry. The Bible teaches us about God there. I've messed up on my notes. The Bible is the revelation of God. It's how he reveals himself to us. Now, if you're like me, you're probably wishing that he would just do something a little bit different every now and then. And, and I have prayed prayers. Lord, let me see the handwriting on the wall. Lord, I would really love a, love a physical manifestation of your being here in, in this time that I'm in. But you know what? God gives me the Bible. It's everything I need to know to put my trust and my faith in him. The Bible is the revelation of and the instruction of God. Men wrote it, as I said a few minutes ago, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Y'all still with me? Say amen. amen. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16, you see this in your notes, all scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable. For what? Well, the Bible tells us, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That's who we believe when it comes to who God is according to the Bible. The Bible doesn't just leave it there. The Bible tells us that our God is a creator God. He loves to create things. And that's an important aspect of the God that we serve, is that he is a creator God. He created everything. He created you. He created me. If there's some type of hang-up you got with me, take it up with God. He created me. He created you. He is a creator God. We read in Genesis, in the beginning, God did what? He created. He is a God of creation. He created everything with a plan. He creates everything with a purpose. If you don't think your life has a purpose, I guarantee you, you may not know what it is right now, but your life has a purpose. Because God has his fingerprint on you. I promise you I'll use some sanitizer in a few minutes, but God put his fingerprint on you. And then we learn not only is God our creator, we learn that God is complete. The Bible teaches that God is complete. We, we sung about it this morning. He is one inseparable divine being. And, and he, he communicates with us, if you will, in these ways. He is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God three in what? One. Yeah. And we know that from Scripture. We know about our God that he is he is um, omnipotent, he is all-powerful, he is omniscient, he is all-knowing, he's omnipresent. Guess where? He is everywhere. That's the God we serve. Our God is a complete God. And not only is our God a complete God, I love this about him too, our God is a compassionate God. We serve a God of compassion. <laughs> he's a passionate God. He's a compassionate God. And he created us to receive his love but then he also created us to do this. He created us to display his love. And by the way, that's why abortion is so wrong. 
because we display his love through his fingerprint upon our lives. So we see the compassion of God this way. One of my favorite verses, and whenever I'm talking to somebody about salvation, this is one of the verses I always take them to. And I got some illustrations I use because I really want, especially with kids, I want it to I want it to sink in, but I love Romans 5, verse 8. I think you see it there in your notes. One of the ways God proves his love for us is that even when he knew we were sinners, he did what for us? He died for us. He's a compassionate God. So even though we inherit original sin from our great, 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 great grandparents, Adam and Eve, and even though we sin by nature and by choice, right, he still loves us. He's a compassionate God. And then the Bible teaches us about our God that he's coming back. Aren't you glad he's coming back? Man, we call it the rapture of the church. And any day, any moment, any time he could come back. There's been days that I've said jokingly, come Lord Jesus. There's been days I've been very, very serious, come Lord Jesus. But I rest in the fact that my God is coming back. This is very basic, but we're all laying the foundation that we want everybody in our church to understand. All right? Re-emphasizing discipleship. So God is... He's coming back. So because of who God is, don't y'all think our God is worthy of worship? Which, by the way, is one of my favorite hymns. I think it used to be hymn number 200 in the Baptist hymnal. Worthy of worship, worthy of praise. Very, very short hymn there. Two stanzas maybe. But don't test me on it. But I think I I could be right. So because of who God is, he is so worthy of our worship. But what's the question? The question for us at the moment is what is worship? Well, let's talk about that for a little bit. Worship is basically whatever it is in your life that you value. Whatever you value most is what you're going to worship or who you're going to worship. Worship means to describe beauty to something. You know, there's been times that I've been, I told y'all this several years ago, went to the Grand Canyon because I never thought I'd get that there again. I went to the Grand Canyon. I'm going, wow, man, the handiwork. Of God, the fingerprint of God. It reminded me of Terry Redland, a great artist, one of my favorite artists. I got a couple of his paintings. I can just stare at those things all day. Terry Redland, anyway. But looking at the Grand Canyon, I'm like, man, that's good. And here's my kids. All right, let's do it. <laughs> but I'm like, wow, they're ready to go. But worship is what we ascribe worth to. And you can worship a lot of different things. But here's a good word we only have space in our heart. For one. And the one person that needs to be in our heart that we worship is the Lord. Matthew, the tax collector, writes, No one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. So there again, we worship what we value, all right? Something else you need to understand about worship is that worship makes our God really good. He is a good, good God. One of my favorite newer songs that you're a good father, a good, good father. So what I mean by saying that worship, that only God makes a good God, what I mean by that and what our staff means by that is that God is both satisfying when he is worshiped, but he is also forgiving whenever we fail him. Y'all fail God? Boy, I do. So here's the thought. We love God through worship because he first loved us. We lift up our hands. We had a sermon about that a couple of weeks ago. We lift up our hands in worship for who he is. We worship our hands, or lift up our hands in worship for the beauty of the earth that he's created. There's just times in our life that we just worship him, right? 
The Bible says in Psalms 95, the Lord is a great God and he's a great king above all other gods. And something else you need to understand about worship, and this is really big, and that is that worship is essential. Just like you need water every day to stay alive, you need worship too. But you need to make sure you're worshiping the right thing, the right person, that's the Lord. As we walk in obedience to God, worship is, is an essential part of our life. We, we, don't need to, we do not need to be worshiping God in an unworthy manner. So, so basically, when you take God off the throne of your heart, when you remove God from the place that he needs to be in your heart, it's like a fabric that's been torn. And if you put somebody else there, that's called sin. So if you remove God from the throne of your heart, everything about you is messed up. Paul writes in Romans 1, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. As a result, boy, isn't this our world. As a result, they didn't know God. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-loving God, they worshiped idols. So worship is essential to who we are and to who God is. But then something else about worship you need to understand. And this is really what Robert needs to be up here talking about this. But I'll do it, all right? Worship involves everything about us, including music, right? God created us to worship him. He loves to hear us singing, even when you're off key. He loves to hear us worship him. And one of the ways we do that is through music and through singing. How many of y'all ever been moved in a worship service just because of music? Boy, I have. Singing just kind of touches us, right? Um, and, and, and throughout history, and throughout church history, music and singing has been a part of the church as we gather to worship. And one of the things I love about Scripture is that the Bible doesn't say, well, this is how you do it. You've got to sing the doxology every Sunday. Charles and Bobby, I'll never forget uh, Larry Harris's little girl, Jenna, who associated the doxology with the song of the offering plate. That's what she called it because we did it religiously every Sunday. It kind of became a ritual. Um, so I'm glad we don't do it every Sunday. We sung it a couple of weeks ago. A great newer rendition of the doxology. But one of the things I love about Scripture is that it doesn't say, this is the song you've got to sing, and it's got to be from this particular era or this particular genre. You know, God wants us to just to sing praises to him. Barry Manilow used to sing, I can't believe I'm quoting him, maybe the old songs. We'll bring back the old times. Can y'all hear Barry Manilow singing that? I can't believe I just did that. I think I was on key too, Robert. But can I tell you something about that? That's a good lyric from an old song that I used to sing long ago. But if the old song is all we sing, we're not singing to God a new song. And the Bible tells us we're to sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. He likes, he likes hymns. And every hymn, be it in the hymn book or on the screens, is all about him. Psalms 150 says, praise him with the trumpet. Praise him with the lute and harp. I'm sure the saxophone's in there somewhere. Praise him with the tambourine and dance. We're not going to do that because we're a Baptist church, but I guess we could. <laughs> Strings and pipes, sounding cymbals, loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let me tell you what I'm thankful for. I'm thankful that when God brought us Robert as our music and discipleship pastor, one of the things I'm thankful for him and for all of the musicians that were even serving before Robert and his leadership is that we incorporate and he really does try to incorporate all sorts of songs that praise God. Some of them are the old songs, like what I grew up with. I looked over at John this morning. I said, you know the, John, the song that we're singing today is actually an old hymn put to a new, new song? And John's like, no, I didn't know that. John would prefer to hear Alan Jackson, and I'm sorry, buddy. John would prefer to hear Alan Jackson sing the old hymns 
than some of the newer stuff. And I'm like, really? But anyway, we're different, right? That's what makes the world so beautiful. We're different. We're even different in church. But, but, but music, regardless of the songs that you're singing, music that is Christ-honoring is just a tool for us to use to worship him. Now, let me just say this. You will never be able to worship the God that I worship, no matter how good the song is. No matter how good the band is. And there again, I, didn't, I wasn't asked to play my saxophone with the trumpet and the trombone this morning. So no matter how good the worship is, no matter how good the worship is, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, it's all for naught. So let's just run through this, if you will. How do you have a relationship with God? Well, the simple answer is through Jesus. You have a relationship with God through Jesus, and you, you need to be saved if you've never been saved. There needs to be a point in your life where there's been a conversion, or what I really like saying, you've been born again. Y'all with me? Say amen. I ain't lost you yet, right? You ain't coming back tonight, so y'all stick with me a little bit, except for the youth. Youth and kids start back tonight. Man, it's going to be great. The Bible says in Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else, where there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we need to be saved. So... So if you want to have a relationship with God, it begins by having a relationship with Jesus. What's that look like? Well, you've got to believe the gospel. You've heard this. They're, again, not rocket science. But you need to believe the gospel. The gospel, the gospel message, the good news of the gospel is so that Jesus lived a sinless life. Hey, why was he born? For you. And he lived a sinless life. For you. And, and, he, and he died on the cross, taking your sins upon him. Why did he do that? For you. See how much he loves you. And he was, he was put in that tomb. And three days later, what did he do? But he arose. He did all of that for you. So there's got to be a time in your life where you believe in the gospel. But then you got to ask for forgiveness. You have not because you ask not. you got to ask for forgiveness. The Bible says in 1 John, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he'll forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And then thirdly, after asking for forgiveness, you need to receive God's gift of salvation. He has given you the most beautiful gift you can ever receive, but you got to take it. you got to receive what he's given you. The Bible teaches us that we're all dead in our sins by nature and by choice. We can't save ourselves. You can't work enough to get into heaven. The Bible tells us that in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. So we pray a prayer of surrender. We ask the Lord to save us. We receive his gift of salvation. The Bible says, I love Romans 10, 13. It says, it doesn't say for, well, if this person or that person or for some people. It says, for everyone, finish it with me, who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's just a wonderful promise of Scripture. So, once you have that done and you're saved, and praise the Lord that I hope every single person in here is, and if you're not, talk to us. The very next step you need to do is to be baptized. And we talked about that in length a couple of weeks ago. We talked about baptism. We talked about the Lord's Supper as well. But let's talk very briefly about baptism, water baptism, or what I like to call believer's baptism. It's your first step of obedience. And if you haven't been baptized, you're being disobedient. So you need to be baptized. It's your first step of obedience. Baptism is not only is your first step of obedience, but it allows you to follow in Jesus' example. What's really cool for me is to know that the same way I was baptized is the same way Jesus was baptized. 
And when we go to Israel, you know, hopefully in 2023, if you weren't here Wednesday night, you missed out on that. We're going to try to go to Israel in 2023 for the, whoever wants to go. So we're planning that. Not in detail yet, of course, but we're going to Israel in 2023. That's what we're going to shoot for, all right? Um, I want to get baptized in the Jordan. Anyway, hope it's not muddy whenever we do that, but anyway. Baptism allows believers to follow Jesus' example. And then baptism, another thing that's the, the beautiful picture of baptism, is not only does it, follow, does it help us follow Jesus' example, it shows others, hey, you know what? I've been saved. There's been a day in my life I put my faith, I put my trust in Jesus. And Jesus tells me to be baptized, and I've been baptized. Uh, it, it's your way of professing Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So, you know, one of the most beautiful things about baptism is not only is it your profession of faith, but I love doing it in a worship service. Don't y'all like to celebrate a baptism? I mean, it really does set the tone for it. The worship is just wonderful. And one of the things that we try to do in our worship, and this moves on to your next section there in your workbook, and we'll speed through these as fast as I can, but one of the things that we do when we come to worship, when the church gathers as a body of Christ to worship, one of the things we want to do is we want to celebrate. We've got something to celebrate, right? I tell you what, if we were to base our celebration on how our football teams did, there ain't nothing to celebrate. But we celebrate the fact when we gather on the Lord's Day, on Sunday, do we celebrate the fact that, hey, we worship Jesus. He's our king. He's our creator. He's our redeemer. He's our friend. And we come together to celebrate him. And then we also come together and we hope to inspire you because you might have had a really tough week. So when you come together, I hope you come together for fellowship, you know, in small groups. That's what makes big church intimate. You get a part of a small group, fellowship, Bible study. And then we come together for a worship gathering like this and we, and we just celebrate. And I really hope you experience the presence of God here. By the way, you could have the best worship experience of, of all. But if you hadn't been preparing for that worship experience, don't think you're going to get it just one hour on Sunday if you haven't prepared your heart through the week. So we really want us to celebrate. We want to, in, we want to inspire you. And then the teaching of God's Word is, is central. Do y'all know why the pulpits in every church is, is centered on the platform? It's, it's not because the preachers of prima donna, although there's some preachers out there I fear may be. It's because the preaching of God's Word is central. That's why we gather. We gather to hear and to worship God, not only through singing, but through the exhortation of his word. 1 Timothy 4.13 says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. So we want you to be able to celebrate. We, we hope our services are inspirational, teaching. And then uh, the next slide is, is salvation, prayer, and ministry. Let me just talk about that. I really hope and pray in every service that if somebody doesn't know Jesus, they will get saved that day. That's one thing y'all need to pray religiously for. You say, well, pastor, that sounds ritual. Make it a ritual. Pray every Sunday. Pray before Sunday. Lord, save somebody in that church service today. And then prayer. Sometimes we pray a little. Sometimes we pray a lot. Come to church on Wednesday night. We, we call it prayer meeting. And I give a devotional, and we spend time in prayer. Hey, Jesus said something pretty powerful about prayer. He said, my house shall be a house of what? Prayer. This side knew it. Thank y'all. Yeah, my house should be a house of prayer. And then another purpose of our gathering is ministry. Every believer has a gift. And we're going to help you as part of our discipleship process discover, if you haven't discovered what it is yet, we're going to help you discover maybe the one or two gifts or more that God has blessed you with. Every person has at least 
one. So because of all of these purposes, we routinely keep ordinances, and these ordinances help us to stay focused on the gospel. What are the ordinances that we keep? Gosh, I wish I had more time, but time is drawing nigh. Let me just tell you what a definition, my, a, a really sweet, simple definition of an ordinance. An ordinance basically is a visual aid that illustrates a biblical truth. An ordinance is a public ceremony. It's a visual aid that illustrates a biblical truth, but it's also a public ceremony that we, res- that we perform in response to God's grace. Compare that to a sacrament where you try to obtain the grace of God. God's already given us the grace, so it's an ordinance. He says, do this in remembrance of me. And in a Baptist church like ours, a Protestant church, we believe there are two ordinances, water baptism, right? Believer's baptism. We believe that's one of the ordinances where believers that, are, that have been saved are baptized. And then the other is the Lord's Supper or Communion. The Lord's Supper or Communion. We remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So those are our primary ordinances, but there's some secondary ordinances too that are pretty important in the life of New Testament churches. One is marriage. Marriage compares God's relationship to us with a husband's relationship with his wife. I'm moving on, so right fast, okay? Marriage is one of our secondary ordinances. Another one is offerings. Offerings remind us that we don't own it all, but that what God has given us, he's given to us to be a steward. So we bring back the tithe into the church. And then another secondary offering, or secondary ordinance rather, in addition to offerings and marriage, is the Lord's Day. And when Jesus, as a devout Jew, he observed the Sabbath, which was on Saturday. We observe the Lord's Day as a Sunday because it's the day that Jesus arose. So every Sunday for the church of Jesus Christ, for the bride of Jesus Christ, we gather, and it's like Easter. Every Sunday. Because we serve a risen Savior who's in the Boy, y'all got y'all's attention there. Y'all just arrived, and y'all looked up. Y'all thought I was about to sing a hymn. Don't dare me. I mind. So we, we celebrate the Lord. And then another one of our secondary, and this is really sweet, and that's a, that's a baby dedication. And one of the things I love about a baby dedication is that it copies what Jesus' parents did for him, taking him to the temple, dedicating him to the Lord. And that's all a baby dedication is. And, let, and you might be thinking, well, when do we do that here? Whenever you want to. We don't have to wait to Mother's Day or Father's Day. It's whenever you want to. I just want to meet with you before we do it, okay? We want to counsel you. So let me, um, I think you filled out all the, all the little outlines that we wanted to cover today. All the little blanks have been filled. But let me just show you how I want you to respond today. And, and Robert's going to come back up and whoever he wants to come back up with him is going to come back up. And the invitation today.